Amen. Well, good morning. Thrilled to be here with you. Been looking forward to this for a number of weeks. I'm thankful for the kind invitation uh, to come and open God's Word in this place. Uh, It was not long ago that I sat where you sat. I graduated here in 2007. I met my wife here, came to many chapels here, uh, labored to stay awake through many chapels here. And uh, I trust that you will give it your whole effort. In fact, I'll make you this deal. I've been looking forward to this, praying for this, preparing for this, and I intend to give this week my 100% full heart effort, and I want to challenge you to do the same. Uh, Would you listen with your 100% full heart effort and let it be a partnership between me and you this week as we look to God's word and we trust that the Holy Spirit uh, will be at work in our hearts. Uh, We have six sessions together, four in the morning, two in the night. And uh, throughout the week, I make it my goal to do some of my study and my work out in the common areas here at Maranatha, the library, the coffee shop, uh, the D.C. And so stop by, say hello, introduce yourself. If there's something you want to talk about, uh, I would love to fellowship with you uh, throughout the week. But please take your Bibles and join with me in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I want to speak with you this morning about um, a topic uh, that is incredibly important to us, and I realize now that the slide is only in my view, and so uh, tech team, if you can help me with that, uh, that would be great. Uh, James chapter 3 this morning, I want to speak to you about a topic that I believe is incredibly important for a Bible college. Uh, As I grew up, I went to Christian school, I went here to Maranatha, and I've got to tell you that there were a number of sins that everyone knew were off limits, that were wrong, that grieved the Holy Spirit, that have No place in the life of a Christian, but it seemed as though sins of the tongue were fair game. That it was open season on slander and on gossip and on complaining and on grumbling. And so this morning I want to address what I believe is often a blind spot in Christianity, particularly in Christian communities. And so as you're turning to James chapter 3, let me ask you this question. What do hunting rifles and paintbrushes Guitars, the internet, cell phones, shoes, hair dryers, and cheeseburgers all have in common. Honestly, not much. (laughs) But there's one thing. Each of these items is morally neutral. You see, there's really nothing morally right about them, and there's really nothing morally wrong about them. They're They're just objects. And I would actually place the human tongue in the same category as these. It's this muscular digestive organ. It's covered by thousands of taste buds. It's housed in the human mouth. But yet, this little muscular organ has incredible potential either for great wickedness or for great good. I mean, think with me for a moment about all the different uses for the tongue. Think about the good you can do with the tongue. The tongue can sing, it can encourage, it can teach, witness, preach, it can praise God, it can rejoice, it can recite scripture, it can disciple others, it can instruct them in the faith, it can warn them when necessary. But on the other hand, think about the negative descriptions of the tongue in scripture. One man summarizes all the different ways that the tongue is described negatively in the Word of God. Listen to this. He says, in Scripture, the tongue is described as wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, 
Foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. Well, why? Why would the scriptures describe the tongue so negatively? It's not because any part of the human body is inherently sinful, certainly not the tongue. Rather, it's because the authors of scripture paint a portrait of sinful humans that is equally as negative. In other words, the tongue is described as wicked and vile, etc., because humans are described in our sinful state as wicked and vile. And so just as a gun can be used for self-defense or for murder, so the tongue can be used for praise or for perversion. It can be used for supplication in prayer or for sensuality. It can be used for the glory of God or for gossip about other people. You see, the tongue is a neutral object that can be used for good or for evil. The tongue, then, is like a dipstick into the human soul. It reveals either a heart that has been radically changed and being changed by the grace of God, or it reveals a heart that needs the grace of God to do that work of transformation. Consider with me how many times in just this little letter of James that he mentions speech or the tongue. In James chapter 1, verse 19, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. He warns us about thoughtless or sometimes angry speech. In chapter 4, he warns us about slandering others. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He warns us about bragging with our tongues about the future in a way that presumes upon God's grace and goodness. In chapter 4, he says, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city. We will continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. It's presumptuous speech. He warns in chapter 5, he says, grudge not or grumble not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. And then perhaps more famously, chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his own tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. This person's religiosity is empty. Student says, you approach a brand new semester. I want to challenge you about how you use your tongues. I want to challenge us about the words that we say because they are important as we live before the face of God and as we live in community with one another, especially on a Christian college campus. And so notice with me very quickly four truths about the power of the tongue from James chapter 3. I want to invite you to see number one, the tongue has the power to direct the tongue has the power to direct. Look with me now, and I trust you'll see this for yourselves as we read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth, or whithersoever the, uh, the pilot desires. 
Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. James begins his teaching on the tongue in verse 1 by warning the believers that they should not all become many masters or they should not all become teachers of the word because teachers are going to be judged more severely. It seems that he's warning about the wrong sorts of ambitions that may lead someone to want to teach the word of God. You see, it's possible to want to teach the truth of God's word for the wrong motives, like the praise of other people. And so James is reminding us and he's warning us, if you presume to speak for God, please understand you will be judged more stringently. This warning is given for a reason. The warning is given because the tongue, when it's wielded with skill and with ability, the tongue has this tremendous ability to direct others, to move to action, to motivate others, to form values. The tongue has the power to compel beliefs. And so what do the following people all have in common? Joel Osteen, Rob Bell, Stephen Furtick, Each is a known false teacher today, but each has the tremendous ability to communicate effectively. And because they have mastered the skillful use of language, that makes them all the more dangerous. You see, using speech, they can direct people away from the truth of God's word. They can direct people away from the salvation, and they can actually lead people towards an eternity in hell by using the power of words. Focus with me on the second portion of verse 2. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body. If you're able to bridle your tongue, James says, which is the most difficult arena of spiritual discipline, then he says bridling or controlling the rest of your body, well, that should be a piece of cake. Or we could say that if you have control over your tongue, then you have control over your desires, which lie under how you use your tongue, and then the rest of your life flows out of that kind of control. And so in verses 3 and 4, James gives two illustrations of a similar truth, of how, of how the tongue can direct. Controlled by your desires, your tongue accomplishes feats that are just, frankly, they're surprisingly big. He gives the analogy of horses in verse 3. My understanding is that these horse bits are usually quite small and they're placed into a horse's mouth and they're positioned strategically so that pulling the reins gets the horse's attention very quickly. And so James' point is simple. A very small bit can be used to turn the entire body of a 700-pound animal. He brings up the analogy of ships in verse 4. A modern 25-foot speedboat has a rudder that's no more than a single foot long. So a single foot long steers this 25 foot powerful speedboat. Large ships are steered or directed even in the face of fierce winds by a relatively small steering apparatus called a rudder. And so James' point is simple again. A very large vessel, it's moved by a piece of material that's a fraction of the size of the ship. Something very small accomplishes something very large. So here's the point. Like a rudder or a bit, Your tongue may be tiny, but yet it can accomplish things that are surprisingly big. And yet, don't misunderstand. It's not like the tongue is this autonomous organ that's housed in your your body. It doesn't function independently. 
The text says that the ship is turned by the will of the pilot, and the horse's body is ultimately turned by the desire of the rider. And so just as the bit is ultimately attached to a bridle, which is attached to the reins, which are placed in the hands of the rider, and just as the ship's rudder is ultimately attached to a tiller or some sort of a steering wheel that is controlled by the captain of the ship, so your tongue is not an independent mover. It is directed by your desires. James wants us to be wise in understanding that our mouths then are full of potential energy. Our tongues have the power to direct. This potential can either be harnessed and used for the glory of God, the spread of the gospel, the making of peace among other Christians, bringing a blessing in your family, contributing positively in your church, or this potential can be unleashed to express our sinful desires and therefore be used to lead others the wrong direction. The tongue has the power to direct, number one. But notice, number two, the tongue has the power to destroy. It has the power to destroy. Do you see this in verses five and six? Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. James shifts now to provide for us an example of how destructive our tongues can be. The end of verse 5 basically says, how great a forest gets set on fire by such a small fire, set ablaze by such a small fire. As I travel around our community, I ride in my Jeep and I've subscribed to XM Radio, not because I'm a music snob, but because I want to listen to the radio station that covers Premier League soccer. And so I ride around, I listen to that station, and they always break in with news from the BBC. And I was listening to a news report on the BBC the other day, and they were talking, surprisingly, about the raging fires that were happening out in Colorado. They said that the wildfire has destroyed over a thousand homes and that several were expected dead. People were shopping in a Costco and they had to flash the lights in the Costco and say, this is not a drill. Everyone get out of here. The fire is encroaching upon the shopping center. The fire ended up causing, get this, $513 million worth of home damage. Investigators suspect that some sparks from a downed power line caused the fire to start. And so we're reminded that it only takes a small flame to begin a fire that has potential for incredible destruction. And it's not even fire season right now. Folks, from a spiritual perspective, there is never a season of the year to put down our guard about using our tongues in a godly way. Just one wayward word, just one angry sentence, just one mindless thought expressed out loud, and it can cause the destruction of what took you years and seasons of faithful building to establish. Let's break down verse 6 for a moment in its component parts. James says the tongue is a world of iniquity. In other words, the tongue is able to express every conceivable sort of wickedness. There's no wickedness that the tongue is incapable of initiating, accomplishing, or describing. You can command wrong things with your tongue. You can encourage sin. You can describe unrighteousness. You can wish evil upon others. And I could go on and on. The tongue is a world of iniquity. 
James continues, he says, that the tongue is among our members that it defiles the whole body. What is James saying here? If your tongue is being used to express wicked things, instead of expressing godly things, then nothing can be fully spiritually right in your life because you're simply speaking your desires, you're revealing the contents of your own heart. This is exactly what Jesus taught us when he said in Mark chapter 7, that which cometh out of the man defileth the man. For from within, from out of the heart of the men, perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. James also says that the tongue setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. In other words, sinful speech impacts all of life, including the lives of others, and it can be used by Satan and the demons themselves. Think about all the different ways that your tongue can destroy. Think about this with me for a moment. Someone who makes a false accusation can destroy someone's else, someone else's entire life. Someone who preaches false gospels can destroy someone's eternal life. Lying lips can ruin reputations and sever friendships. Anger can destroy relational intimacy. Flattery can destroy trust. Gossip in the church or on a campus can destroy unity and friendships. Complaining can destroy thankfulness. Cussing and crash joking can destroy your testimony to the lost. Blasphemy will hurt your relationship with God because it's grieving the Holy Spirit. And we could go on and on and on about the destruction that can be caused by the tongue. One Bible teacher recounts an old article that he read from a sports writer. The author says, I'm more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes. I break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sand of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and I seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Friends, too often sins of the tongue, like mockery and slander and gossip, these get free passes among Christians because they're not the really naughty words. It's not like I use God's name in vain. But friends, do you realize how serious gossip and slander are? I know two women who were gossiped about and slandered in an incredibly personal way. It came from other professing Christian women in their same church. And those words were so hurtful and so deep and so devastating that it crushed them and no one ever came back to them and asked for forgiveness. No one ever even attempted to make it right. And the result is this, the two women that were slandered have never really found their feet in a solid Christian church again. Students, if you want to see families hurt, if you want to see your future church ripped apart, if you want to see relationships, even here on campus, severed, here's a foolproof recipe. Gossip about someone you envy. Lie to someone rather than apologizing for your sin. Speak in uncontrollable anger to someone that you're supposed to love. And when and if the Holy Spirit convicts your heart over this sin, do nothing. And then sit back 
and watch it all burn to the ground because you lit the match and you tossed it on a pile of dry wood and you walked away giving no care whatsoever how it would turn out. You see, the tongue has the power to direct and the tongue has the power to destroy and the tongue has the power to defy. The tongue has the power, I'll get there, to defy. Verses seven and eight. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue no one can tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. <laughs> Our family loves to go to Florida for vacation every winter. Uh, we, we usually go for two weeks. In fact, uh, it's difficult to survive a Wisconsin winter in the mental health space without a trip away, right? Uh, I know what that wind feels like uh, coming across uh, the open soccer field on the men's side of campus, right? Sometimes it feels like someone is stabbing you in the face with needles. And you're like, dear Jesus, please return right now. <laughs> Our trip uh, this year begins in 13 days, 23 hours, and 30 minutes. And uh, one of the things that we like to do when we're down in Florida is we're not big parks people. Uh, we don't like, maybe we'll go to Disney once or twice, but we're not into the parks. We like to drive through the Everglades and hunt for gators. All right, we're, we're actually big fans of seeing gators. Um, uh, but, but there's this other place that um, I've been going since I was a little kid. My grandparents, my parents took me there. It's up in Kissimmee. And it's called Gatorland. Has anyone been to Gatorland before down in the Orlando area? Okay, a bunch of people have been there. They have 2,000 plus alligators and crocodiles living on 1,000 acres. And it's incredible to see all of these gators and learn about them. What I've learned about gators is, did you know that gators can move 30 miles an hour on the land? Okay, you better calculate appropriate distance between you and that animal. Uh, they can swim 20 miles an hour in the water. They have 80 teeth. They can leap five feet into the air. Their bite strength is over 2,000 pounds per square inch, and they can penetrate steel with their jaws. They're an impressive animal that God has created. But yet, even though gators are far tougher than humans, look what we can do to them. We can tame them just like this. My daughter was three years old in this moment as she is sitting on the back of one of these impressive alligators. What does that have to do with James? James is saying that there is not a beast or bird or reptile or sea creature that humans have been unable to capture or to tame. We've shown our dominion over the creation. We have circuses with trained lions and tigers. We have SeaWorld where humans swim with dolphins and seals and walruses and orcas and even teach them to do tricks. And we could go on and on about how humans have dominated the animal world. But it seems that we humans have more success taming wild animals with teeth than we do with taming this little muscle that's located right behind our own teeth. Compared to vicious wild animals, the tongue, James says, is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And this section seems to end on such a, an abysmal note. No human being can tame the tongue. Well, where's the good news in that? Friend, there's no good news in that. Paul describes lost humanity in a, sinful way, in a similar way in Romans chapter 3. He says their throat is an open sepulcher. 
With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps, poisonous snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Friends, James is right. No human being is able to tame the tongue. You can't do it. Oh, but God is able. You see, the hope for taming the tongue is not found within us. It's found through the God who is able to change us. And when you trust Christ as your Savior and you submit to Him as your Lord, the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual life such that now you are a new creation. And when He does this, He gives you new desires and a new power for living and a power that you didn't have previously. And then you find within yourself a different will that is able to uh, guide and direct your tongue in a way that you were not able to do before your conversion. But even after our conversion to Christ, we're never going to see 100% success over the sins of the tongue in our lives, which is why James has just said, we all stumble in many ways. But yet the taming of the tongue is our goal, and believers, we pursue that goal tenaciously and also humbly in dependence in the Holy Spirit's power. Look at Colossians chapter 3 as Paul describes the new man. He says, but now ye also put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Similar theme comes up in Ephesians. Paul's describing our life in Christ, and he says, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but instead that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Pastor Dave, I'm convicted this morning. The Holy Spirit is convicting me about the lies I've been telling. The Holy Spirit is convicting me about my favorite indoor sports, complaining. What do I do? How can I see the Holy Spirit tame my tongue? And so could we pause our exposition of James for just a few words of application? How can we see the Holy Spirit help us tame the sins of the tongue? I want to encourage you, number one, pray for sensitivity to ungodly speech. Ask God to give you a sensitive heart and conscience to the things that are coming out of your mouths. You know, maybe you've actually been cussing like a sailor since your earliest teenage years. Maybe you've been simply careless and thoughtless with your words. Maybe complaining is your favorite indoor sport. I mean, you and your friends get together in the dining hall and it's just fair game. What about Maranatha can we complain about? What about our dorm soup can we grumble about? What about this class is just ridiculous and this teacher and and it turns into this game and everyone just acts like it's okay. Maybe you didn't know that Christians shouldn't flippantly say God's name or even variations of it because God knows what you intended in your heart. Ask God that the Holy Spirit would make you aware and sensitive to your sin. And then number two, when, when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, because that is a prayer God will answer. 
When you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, don't ignore his work in you. Instead, confess it as sin to God and to others. Confess the sin of the tongue as sin. Name it as such when you're in prayer to the Lord and when you're dialoguing with those that you live in community with. Go to them and say, it wasn't just a flippant mistake, it was a sin against you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. And then practically give other Christians the green light to confront you. Could that be almost an unwritten rule on campus this semester that everyone has the green light to confront others over sins of the tongue? Give them the green light to lovingly call you out on language that doesn't please God because these patterns and habits run so deep we often don't even realize what we're doing and so other believers can be a gift of God's grace to us to point out and say, that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4. That's what he's talking about in Colossians 3. That's what James 3 was all about. Let them call you on it. You need friends like that. One of my best friends to this day came into my dorm room here at Maranatha as I was on the bottom bunk under my sheet resting and he pulled the sheet back and he literally took his finger and he put it into my chest and he confronted me about something and he said, you've got to quit doing that to your friends or one day you're not going to have any and he walked out the door. I was like, you can't say that to me. I was all upset. He's a sinner too. What does he think? And then in the quietness of that moment, I realized he was right. And I realized that his friendship was a gift to me to help me grow in Christ. Intentionally use your tongue then for God-glorifying purposes. No, it's not just avoiding sins with your tongue. It's using your tongue for the, the, the reasons that God created it to be used. He didn't give us these mouths and these lips so that we could say things on the spectrum from questionable to maybe I could get away with that to vile. No, he gave us our tongues to glorify him. And then two others. <laughs> Say less. Fewer words. Everybody. Remember, we will give an account for every idle word. Proverbs ten nineteen, in and, and one translation says this, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. In other words, where there's a lot of words, there's probably going to be a lot of sin. And then slow everything down. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why do we feel like we always have to be talking? What was that? Awkward silence. Is that okay? I would rather have awkward silence than sinful speech. Slow it down. One brother suggests that we adopt the 24-hour rule, and I love this advice, he says, before responding to someone whose words stir up anger, frustration, or defensiveness in me, I wait at least a day. I have found most situations do not require an immediate response, even if someone demands one. And almost always, after 24 hours, the emotions most likely to ignite my heated reply have now dissipated, and I'm able to respond with more measured, loving words. Not only that, I often see the person's perspective more clearly than I initially did, and this rule is very helpful for, for finger speech, but it works with tongues too. 
Friends in Christ, the tongue has the power to direct. It has the power to destroy. It has the power to defy. Would you notice with me now, number four, the tongue has the power to display the heart. Look at verses nine through 12, and I, I trust you'll see this. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So no fountain can yield both salt water and fresh. In verse 9, James tells us that the tongue can be used to bless the Lord or it can be used to curse others. These two options represent polar opposites for tongue usage, right? Either you can praise and glorify God with your tongue or you can curse other human beings that God has created in his image. In verse 10, again, we see more opposites. The same mouth can be used to bless or to curse, but it shouldn't be like this, James says. As Paul would say, all of our members are to be slaves to righteousness. We should have no holdouts, no rogue members of our bodies that are used for, uh, for, for godly and sinful purposes simultaneously. A few years ago, I was over in the UK visiting my sister and her family. On this trip, my brother-in-law and I visited Wembley Stadium in London for a Champions League football match. And the supporters of the team that were visiting from the Netherlands, they literally marched into the stadium together and they were singing together and they were chanting together and they did that the entire match, literally. They sat in a section and they, they, they sang together for almost the entire 90 minutes. That is until they were gloriously defeated in the 92nd minute by a Harry Kane strike. That's a whole other story. Friends, do you realize that because soccer fans can be this passionate and this obnoxious, that they make the fans sit in completely different sections to avoid violence? Like, if you, it would be similar to if you wanted to go up to Lambeau to watch the Vikings versus the Packers, if you were a Packer fan, you wouldn't be allowed to sit with the Viking fans. If you were a Viking fan, you wouldn't be allowed to sit in the Packer section because they're concerned about violence erupting and literally people getting stabbed and dying. And so they actually kicked a young child and his dad out of the match I went to because they were cheering for the wrong team seated in the wrong section. Seriously, a kid was like this tall. I think he got his jersey in under a coat and then he took it off and they were like, kid, you're out of here. All right. When you buy a ticket to one of these matches, you click a little box online and you agree to support the team that is seated in the section of your ticket purchase. Friends, do you realize that when we trusted Christ, we agreed that he would be our Lord? And the implication of this is that we would use our mouths for purposes that please him and only him. You cannot cheer for both teams, as it were. And so James gives several examples of how nonsensical this behavior is. In verses 11 and 12, and these verses are, are difficult to translate and to interpret, but he's asking, can a salt pond produce fresh water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree produce olives? The answer is no. Can, can a grapevine bear figs? The answer is no. And so here is James' point. If your speech is bitter, it's coming from a bitter heart. Like produces like. A tongue that blesses and curses simultaneously, it reveals a divided heart, this sort of double-mindedness that James warns about earlier in his epistle. 
Lips that sing praises on Sunday and then shout curses on Monday reveal a divided heart. Lips that pray in public when called upon but consistently cut down their roommates in private, these reveal a hypocritical heart. And it says your religiosity is empty. Jesus has already taught us. In Gospel of Luke, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, for out of the abundance of his heart the mouth speaks. And this goes for any sort of communication. Not just what comes out of your mouth, but what you text on your phone. What you enter into a Google search. What you gesture with your hands the look on your face even. Our communication is a revealing of what's in our hearts and Jesus tells us that our words tell us something about us. They're windows into our souls. So much so that as much as we would like to say I didn't mean it and that's not really who I am, so much so that we cannot create distance between who we are and what we say because the two are intimately connected. Our words are the overflow of our hearts, and our hearts are who we truly are before God. And so lying is not just a mistake, it reveals a deceptive heart. Using God's name in vain is evidence of a blasphemous heart that does not rightly worship or treasure him as our true creator, God, and Savior. Slandering another person reveals more than loose lips, but rather a heart that doesn't love others as self. Sexual joking shows us that we have a problem that runs deeper than the influences in our lives. It shows us that we have an impure heart that doesn't mirror God's holiness. When we curse in other people and we say a phrase like go to hell, it reveals an ugly condemning heart that does not look like the Savior's heart and is not being shaped by the gospel of grace and truth. Complaining reveals an ungrateful heart that does not revel in or understand God's goodness, and we could go on and on and on. Folks, when we sin with our tongue, don't miss an opportunity for a free heart analysis. In the moment of sin with your lips, your words have revealed your heart. You didn't just slip, no, a specific spot in your heart where you need the grace of God to evidence itself, where you need the Holy Spirit to change you, It has just been exposed to your own sight. And so the question before you is this. Are you going to ignore it? Or are you going to take the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change you in this area? You see, the tongue has the power to direct, to destroy, to defy, and to display the heart. And so with all of the potential that's loaded right here in our mouths... How can we use our tongues to glorify God in this fresh semester at Maranatha? Would you purpose with me to use your tongue for purposes like this? Rapid fire and we'll be done. Would you use your tongue to glorify and praise God? Now, I've been to Maranatha Chapel a number of times. Can I tell you that the singing this morning was more lively than usual? It was more robust. It sounded like you wanted to praise the Lord. When you're driving alone in your own car, how often do you sing? In personal conversations with others, how often do do you just say, hey, can I just stop for a moment and tell you what God has done in in, in my life? And you praise him for his character and for his astounding work. 
Use God, I'm sorry, use your tongue to praise God. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my breath, Psalm 104, 33. Also, use your tongue to pray. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get into this spiritual funk where everything I think and say is just so negative. Like, how are you doing? Well, it's all the negative stuff. How are you feeling? Well, I, I feel pretty good except for this one little nick, and, and you just kind of, everything you say is negative. And typically when I get into this kind of negative funk, if I stop and evaluate my life, I realize that I haven't been praising God and I also haven't been consistently praying to God either. And we read in scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And if 2020 taught us anything, and if 2021 has taught us anything, didn't those years teach us that we have constant needs? We're constantly in need, then shouldn't we be constantly in prayer? In terms of prayer, then, what are your goals for 2022? Instead of using your tongue for an unrighteous purpose, what about James 5, chapter 5, verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? We challenge you also to use your tongue to provoke others to good works. That's why the church gathers on Sunday, Hebrews chapter 10. That's why we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we would have opportunity for dialogue, that we would provoke or irritate others towards good works, and that we would do so with our lips. How can you challenge your roommates to grow in Christ and serve him this semester? And then fourth, use your tongue to proclaim the gospel. In this new semester, will you find opportunities to use your tongue to proclaim the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but Paul continues, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how are they going to hear without a preacher, without someone using this mouth to verbalize the gospel message? Perhaps the greatest thing you can do with your tongue this year, this semester, is to proclaim the gospel to someone who has never heard it before. You see, the tongue has the power to direct, to destroy, to defy, and to display the heart. How will you use your tongue this semester? You can light a match and burn down your entire dorm, as it were, with your tongue. Or you can use your tongue to bless your roommates, to edify your entire hall, and to even encourage your professors and to push others on this campus to pursue Christ with everything that they have. And you can use that tongue to proclaim the gospel even in this community. How will you use yours? Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's impossible to consider the tongue as a believer without the conviction of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, I'm confident that there are convicted hearts in this room. I pray that in the silence of this moment, that your people would simply say yes to how you are working in them. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We look forward to how you will meet with us the rest of this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.